I did want to say that I'm really aware um, that today the, the papers, um, although uh, as Michael pointed out, we do create those uh, divisions between international and, and national, um, they are quite UK uh, focused. Um, I'm kind of aware of that. Um, and I still think there's a lot of work to do with looking at um, the diversity and the divisions within UK context as well as outside but I'm also aware that when we do that we're almost reasserting that the UK is a, is a central place for research and other places are on the periphery so um, I'm sort of aware of that and I hope that what we can do is try and draw some links um, because as, as Michael said as well this morning there we're, we're certainly uh, I like him see this uh, what I'm talking about today as a kind of instance of um, some of the issues that are common to higher education contexts in lots of places. So I hope that those are conversations we can continue um, today and uh, going forward. Um, and the other thing that I was going to say to start off is how many people watch Call the Midwife? Anybody here watch Call the Midwife? I'm yeah. where my wife watches. <laughs> yeah, so I was there watching it at Christmas, um, thinking that I was having a rest, and then it turned out to be based on an island. Um, and so it felt a lot like it was a lot of the things I've been thinking about. Um, and um, anyway, it's a BBC TV programme that follows, it doesn't really matter, but it, was, it follows a set of uh, medical practitioners um, and they went and visited a remote Scottish island. And there was this quote, um, which really summarises quite a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, All islands have a boundary, you live your life within it and you love it or you break out and make a life elsewhere on every island in the world, no matter how magnificent, there are those who cannot leave and those who cannot stay. Um, and I thought that was a lot of the things I've been thinking about. Some of the things that I'm sort of also problematizing, um, the idea of boundaries is very much something I'm going to be talking about, uh, and also the idea of uh, that um, dichotomy, similar to the national international one, or the domestic international one that is between leaving and staying that I think is very much part of how we talk about higher education um, and uh, so I sort of wanted to start um, with that. So what I'm going to do is look um, briefly at um, why I wanted to look at island um, higher education and the kind of issues that um, can be sort of taken out of what are very very small geographic contexts but um, might be relevant to uh, other contexts an introduction to what we've done in the project. Um, I'm going to talk about three uh, findings um, from the project um, and then some um, conclusions. Um, so for me, um, looking at islands um, has uh, touched on some lots of different areas of thinking about higher education um, and lots of different questions that I think are quite current about higher education. So one I'm going to be talking about a bit later in relation to the data. Um, but it's whether higher education institutions are, are local institutions or global institutions or both and how if they're both they do that at the same time and particularly because the institutions that I was looking at <coughs> looking at in this study were colleges so further education colleges in the UK context um, which means that you are not you don't have university status so the two are not interchangeable um, and the colleges are often more associated with local um, provision um, and so this idea of um, what it means to be a local provider of higher education um, versus or in conjunction with the idea of global provision is something that uh, island education, island higher education touches on. Um, I think this very much, um, what, what is higher education for, um, comes out in an island uh, context um, because uh, a lot of the discourses around it are about providing jobs. 
Um, but actually, if you talk to a lot of uh, people studying or a lot of the tutors, there are also issues of social mobility and particularly social justice. So a lot of the time, um, what people were saying is this is um, uh, higher education is one way of intervening in a kind of isolation um, that can come from living in quite a remote community and it has something other than an employability agenda. Um, virtual learning and the role of the physical university. Um, so certainly one of the um, colleges that I visited was part of a network called the University of the Highlands and Islands which is a hugely complicated um, network of um, colleges that make up um, a university and um, they do a lot of network provision um, but the physical spaces of the colleges and the um, satellite provision around the colleges were actually hugely important and in some ways more important because quite a lot of the teaching was virtual um, and I can say a bit more about that later. Um, as I've said, I, the, looking at island colleges, none of the islands that I was um, looking at had a university. Um, they were offering higher education but through colleges that offered lots of different types of education so it does bring up lots of questions uh, about university status um, which again um, uh, I'll come on to a bit later. Um, the materiality of place um, is kind of um, what a place means, where its boundaries are. Um, Michael already mentioned the idea of boundaries this morning um, and um, an island makes boundaries quite sort of concrete. Um, and it really asks a lot of questions about what a place um, means um, and what its, relation, what its relationship to education is. Um, mobility is obviously what we're talking about um, today and what sort of threads these uh, together. And then um, the book that I uh, sort of, that started getting me thinking about education and mobility in particular um, is this one, called, this one called Learning to Leave. Um, which is uh, about the irony of schooling in a coastal community. So it's about, it's by Michael Corbett, um, about um, coastal communities in Nova Scotia in Canada um, and the idea of that um, perhaps education is different if being successful in education um, is synonymous with eventually leaving the place that you have grown up in um, and that that's quite a different educational experience um, than um, being based in an urban centre where that choice isn't quite as stark. Um, and that's um, some of obviously what's quite relevant um, in these contexts that I've been looking at because um, up until fairly recently when colleges started, or colleges on these islands started to offer um, higher education courses that the choice was stop education um, sometimes at 16, later at 18 or leave the island completely and carry on with your education and those historically have been the choices and now it's becoming a bit more complex. Um, so, very briefly, these are the sort of areas of literature that I've been drawing on for the project and again it ties together these um, uh, sort of quite broad ideas. So on one hand you've got kind of educational geographies which is looking at mobility and immobility. Um, it's also looking at that association that um, we have, I think, between uh, mobility and privilege and immobility and disadvantage that suggests that um, if we move not only do we move as a result of privilege but we increase our privilege by moving and if we stay we probably stay because we lack uh, privilege and um, that is perpetuated by staying um, and there are although um, there, there is truth to that kind of dichotomy it's also more complicated um, I think 
um, and um, the idea of uh, having educations that are outside of the urban centres in which they're usually designed and theorised um, is also part of educational geographies literature. Social geographies really, um, I'm going to go into a little bit more, but it's the idea of what a place is and also what a type of place is, so a remote um, a rural, a coastal place, and what that means and the kind of um, associations we have with it. And then specifically, I have been looking at some um, literature on what an island is, what it means to be part, be from an island, um, and um, some of the contradictions. Um, so particularly, people talk to me about the contradiction of um, the island as a kind of community where everyone knows everything, because what a lot of people said is you have to... The, the contradiction is that you have to be really careful what people know um, because they can't know things that mean you won't be able to live together harmoniously. So for instance, politics is usually off the table. Um, so you might live with people, you live pe with people, see them every day, never really know what they feel about politics because if you knew, you wouldn't be able to live together in the same kind of harmony. Um, so the kind of contradictions that come from living in quite a small kind of enclosed um, community. Um, so this is what the project has looked like. Um, it was a literature review which brought together those uh, sort of three uh, areas of uh, research um, and then some policy documents um, which um, I can talk about uh, in more detail which are quite complicated and which I really needed to read um, because uh, the relationship between the UK and quite a few of its islands is quite a complicated one. Um, so, for instance, uh, the Channel Islands and the Isle of Man um, crown dependencies, um, which means they have their own education systems, they're self-governing, um, but they are influ heavily influenced by the UK system, but not legally required in any way um, to carry out those, uh, the same systems. Um, so, for example, in Guernsey at the moment, I think this September, literally, was the first year they've ever had non-selective secondary education. Um, so it's the first year that every student was not required to take an 11 plus to go into either a grammar school or a comprehensive and that system has existed throughout the whole of the 20th century whereas it changed um, obviously earlier here. Um, I also looked at some of the ways that the colleges marketed their courses um, and then I uh, went to three different islands, um, did interviews with higher education managers and tutors, interviews with students on two higher education courses um, in each place. Um, and I did something similar to what Michael was talking about in terms of the um, mapping, um, where I uh, gave each student a kind of map of um, uh, the island um, and asked them to kind of mark on there the places that were familiar to them, the places they went to habitually, um, places they would never go. Um, and again, I, it's something I can talk about because um, some of the same things about giving a, a, a sort of externally prescribed uh, version of the place I think um, creates its own issues and um, what was really interesting is a lot of students actually um, didn't really think in terms of um, the way we spatially represent um, or the way we visually represent space in that they couldn't really find themselves on the map necessarily even though this is a map of a very what we see as a very small place a lot of the time they said oh I, uh, do you know where my hometown is on this um, on the island so a lot of the time that wasn't how they thought about space at all which was interesting um, and then what I'm going to be talking about today is the narrative um, analysis of some of that um, interview data
Um, so the case study colleges, and um, this is something that I would do differently, I think, if I was setting up the project again, um, where I went into it um, thinking that a standard thing to do is to uh, anonymise and say to the colleges that I would anonymise. I think if I was setting up this project again, I would probably not do that because there are things that I can't be specific enough about having agreed with them that I won't say what, which ones they are. Um, but um, they're located on islands uh, ranging from about 60 square kilometres to 1,000 um, and from 20,000 to 90,000 people in population. Um, and I will say that those, um, you would think that the smallest island had the smallest population, but that is not true. Um, and the biggest one did not also have the biggest population. Um, so the kind of population densities were quite um, varied. Um, as I was saying, there's a range of relationships to the UK as a mainland. Um, so um, Crown dependencies, where as I said, the policy relationship um, is that uh, the island would have their own government and education policy. And then um, I went to one of the Scottish islands, um, which is obviously different again from English policy because they because it's a, because higher education is um, devolved there. Um, so they were operating under Scottish jurisdiction. Um, two of the colleges I visited were offering were further education colleges offering higher education as part of the many qualifications um, they offered. One was one of those, but also a member of the University of the Highlands and Islands um, in Scotland, um, which is um, a really quite complicated uh, institution. It's the only one in the UK that has really tried to create a network of 12 different colleges across a quite, for the UK, a large geographic area. Um, and it's quite a complex operation to try and uh, coordinate um, that area um, and yeah they're each at different stages of developing or responding to policy shifts um, so as I was saying um, the each of the Channel Islands has its own school system um, is in its own stage of developing um, a higher education system alongside that um, and they're also responding to shifts in UK policy um, which is also responding to uh, shifts in global policy so there's quite a lot going on in terms of policy um, so I'm going to um, talk briefly about um, the theoretical framework that uh, I've used for this, um, which is uh, from De Certo's, um The Practice of Everyday Life, um, and uh, he uses, uh, or he talks about the spatial story. And I was saying that I've done narrative analysis of um, this interview data, and it's a narrative analysis that um, looks at how people construct themselves in relation to narratives of, construct the story of themselves as part of a story of place. Um, and when we talk about a place, um, very often, or without meaning to, what De Certo argues we are doing is setting out a boundary around a place. So if we describe a place as being a certain way, we're implying that it begins and ends somewhere. Um, that the place that is contained within the boundaries we're talking about can be characterised in a particular way and therefore begins and ends somewhere. Um, even if we're just describing the weather there, we're kind of saying, in this place that has these boundaries, it'll be cold or it'll rain all the time. Um, and um, De Certo is arguing that we do that in a narrative way, in two ways. We tell the story of the place and then we tell the story of ourselves in relation to the place. Um, so I fit into that place because it rains all the time. Um, and so there's a sort of dual process of storytelling there. Um, 
And um, for this project, because it's about higher education, um, those stories have to be seen in relation to kind of wider shared stories about what it means to attend university, um, particularly in England and across the UK, where um, in Europe, it, the, England particularly has the highest rate of student residence. Um, and so leaving home to go to university is this deep-seated part of um, English culture. Um, and so the boundaries that you might draw around, for example, as Michael was talking about this morning, places you are prepared to go, places it would be impossible to go, the kind of place that you could uh, imagine fitting into, um, those boundaries are drawn in conjunction with making the transition to higher education. Um, so you imagine a place as somewhere you could visit, you could uh, attend university or somewhere you would never attend university and that movement to university is part of how you think of the place um, and what's really important about this is something I was thinking about when Michael was talking this morning and he um, there was some language that people used um, where uh, someone one of the participants had said um, uh, I couldn't survive there um, and I think that's that's something that came out, you know, I couldn't go there, I couldn't survive, I can't imagine myself there. And something about the way we narrate ourselves and the way we think about place is it is that important. We see ourselves as being fundamentally erased in a place or incompatible with a place and unrecognisable in a place in a way that actually um, compromises our idea of survival. Um, so lots of people um, that I was talking to said, I couldn't leave the island, I couldn't. Not that they didn't want to, not that they chose not to, I couldn't. It was a, an impossibility um, and they couldn't imagine, there was no way of imagining themselves and telling the story of themselves in relation to another place. Um, and I think the spatial story is that important to us, the narration that we have of ourselves in a place is about our survival in that place as well. Um, so I'm going to focus on three um, elements um, that have come through uh, in this uh, data and the first um, is about this kind of idea of local or global um, higher education um, and this is something I'm just starting to, um, to think about a bit more um, but um, so uh, a lot of the time the, higher, the, type, the courses of higher education particularly in the two colleges that were independent so they weren't linked to any other higher education provision so they were really quite small colleges for a small population and so they were driven by what they saw as being employment demands on the island. So this person says, on the island we identified there was a demand for cyber security skills. It was difficult to get people here with those skills. It was felt that a good way to do that would be to grow in-house as well so that we would actually have the course running here on the island that would then seep out into the local um, community. So there is a sort of story there of um, creating something, creating a set of skills um, that move outwards into a local um, community. However, at the same time, um, what I really noticed in talking to people was the kind of um, uh, mobility imperative that goes along with developing and, um, uh, and improving higher education provision. And people actually almost um, felt sort of compelled to argue that this provision could also be something that could be internationally recognised. Um, and this idea that uh, this kind of um, uh, went along with this kind of discourse of this is what 
higher education is supposed to do. It's supposed to be international. We're, we're driven by what our local community needs, but somehow at the same time, in, if we're going to be recognised as higher education, we have to do international. And there was a real uh, sort of almost mismatch between the two discourses. So this person was talking about the possibility uh, the possibilities for them in the future and they were saying do we put ourselves up in competition do we try and take students from the UK and bring them across and then what can we offer from that perspective because our students don't have a freshers week um, so they really felt that um, they didn't match up to what universities were supposed to do in lots of ways but this idea of if they could bring students across then they would be like other um, universities and so the idea of not just the rest of what I'm talking about is talking about students, whether they choose to move away from the island or not, um, but the idea of bringing students onto the island. Um, and Rachel Brooks writes about uh, when she does uh, analysis of kind of European um, policies of uh, student mobility, how student mobility, international mobility becomes sometimes a proxy for excellence. Um, and so if you're saying we're drawing students from somewhere, you are saying um, we've achieved a certain level in terms of our provision. And there was that real conflict um, between this and the colleges that were also trying to grow skills in their local community. This was another person saying the same thing and they were discussing whether they could become an awarding body, so whether they could officially be a university. But we'd have to bring international students in. Student experience would have to be more akin to a higher education institution in the UK. Um, so again, it's what our unique selling points are that's the key thing. And I thought that was a really interesting sentence to say we have to be like other higher education, but we also have to do that by being unique, but also by being the same. Um, and it was a real conflict, I felt, all the way through of how do we do something that's the same, but also unique, but also the same, um, backwards and forwards with the idea of mobility and bringing students in. Um, the other thing that I think um, was really quite a surprise to me, um, and I'm going to summarise some of this stuff uh, as quickly as I can, but I could talk about it for a, for a while, uh, were the material constraints on students from um, some islands around the UK, um, which I had no idea about. Um, so, uh, if you're from the Channel Islands, if you're from a Crown Dependency, universities are UK universities are within their rights to charge international student fees. Um, the island themselves will not um, provide the costs of that. So if they do, if the university you're applying to off the island charges international student fees, and your family doesn't have a spare fifty grand, um, you, you can't go to university. Um, uh, for Scottish students, um, their tuition fees would be paid, um, but um, living costs and travel costs would be huge. I don't know if any of you have ever tried uh, travelling to and from, say, Shetland, um, but um, it's hugely expensive. It doesn't always actually even work because of weather. Um, and some of what they were saying is actually, um, some of what the students were saying is it's not just the travelling there, it's that I couldn't actually guarantee that I could get back. It's that I'd have to save up even to be able to come back once a year <coughs> and other students are going home every weekend. Um, there are significant material considerations for them. Um, not to mention the fact that there was, there's an island, uh, one of the smaller Channel Islands, where even to study post-16, you have to live on another, one of the neighbouring Channel Islands with a foster family. So you actually have to enter the care system to study post-16. There are no grants or financial aids from the island to study uh, at university at all um, because you can't 
you're from the smaller island, so the larger island won't help you. The smaller island has no money for higher education, so you have no grants, no fees. And so there were students I was talking to who were in the care system to, to do a post-16 education, but just said it's a financial impossibility for me to go to university as never it will never be possible because there's no one who there's no financial body that is legally someone who could give me a loan um, and then there are these other things where the colleges themselves um, uh, the ones that weren't part of the University of the Highlands and Islands were quite reliant on universities on the mainland being prepared to have partnerships with them um, and for, for those universities there's not a lot of money involved in that we're not talking about huge numbers of students so a couple of them were at the stage where they'd lost a partnership with one university and um, they were seeking another one, but it's hard to get a university who's interested and if they can't find one, they can't offer the higher education. Um, yeah, this was one of the tutors who said they found universities that they advised students not to go to because lots of students would leave and go home at the weekends from that university. And they, for their students, um, they were going to be there for the whole term, if not the whole year. And so Lancaster was a particular university they told students not to go there because apparently everyone leaves at the weekend. So they'd have students who just felt like they were just trapped um, it, there with nobody on the campus at all. Um, obviously, when we think in a kind of Bourdieu um, way that the materialities, the practicalities, the finances are also social things. So um, lots of the tutors said that for their students who would go away, um, there were other things associated with finance, um, but were not limited to finance. Um, so uh, this is where I got the title of the paper from, this person who's absolutely local. I don't really know what it means, but I thought it was a really nice uh, uh, phrase. Um, I don't know what makes you partly local or absolutely local. And for this person, I think it was the idea of um, someone who had no connections anywhere else. Um, and so the difference between the decision made to go off the island might be made um, if you had a family member who was off the island, but if you don't, then you wouldn't go. Um, some people saw it as like a world view. If you can see a future somewhere else, you go somewhere else. Um, and yeah, some people saw it as um, the less well-off families, this is where it's connected to finances, the less well-off families, less have a different worldview and are less likely um, to know people off the island and therefore leave the island. So there were lots of different connections between uh, social class, connect connections across uh, geography um, that would change what you thought about doing. Um, but what I um, also found um, is that people's ties to locality were um, quite... Uh, different and not necessarily these stories of lacking something because all of those constructions are they didn't have the connections they didn't know the right people they didn't have the right worldview they didn't imagine a future and actually lots of the students that i spoke to saw it slightly differently so this person just said i like the island um i've got everything that i need here i don't need anything else why would i leave um, and it's quite hard to answer that question actually when you when you're uh, presented with it and she didn't see herself as being limited by uh, being on the island or lacking anything um, this person um, and this is where the kind of um, the spatial stories uh, kind of come in um, because she had an area around her and she defined that as being quiet and other areas across that boundary it was all crushed up um, and it wasn't set somewhere she could imagine herself 
um, and she liked peace and quiet. So the qualities that she associated with the boundaries around that island were qualities that she aligned herself with. Um, and this student also, um, and this, I, this one quote I thought about a lot, um, had studied her whole, since the age of 16, had had her entire education at this college in the same room um, because she'd followed the same course from, uh, it was in Scotland, so uh, it was a higher national diploma for two years and then a degree. Um, and she liked that and she said, my whole journey has been in this room. Um, and in, this is what made me kind of think, we think of higher education um, and we use kind of spatial language to describe it and we assume that spatial, that a journey in higher education has to be a geographical journey in some way. And for her, she had had a journey, but without leaving or moving away from this room. Um, and she kind of made me think it is actually possible to use this language, but not the assumptions that go with it and not assume that you have to have had a geographical journey um, in order to have a kind of metaphorical um, or educational journey. Um, and um, yeah, finally, I wanted to um, think about um, that, that kind of dichotomy we have um, in higher education between uh, staying and leaving and that's exaggerated by the island and the way people situated themselves the way people told stories of themselves on the island um, and this was one of the tutors um, who said uh, what I said earlier in the presentation which is um, it didn't used to be an option to do higher education here so you stayed here uh, or uh, you jump and he said literally jump um, and he said, if you're somewhere else in the UK, you don't have to. You could go to a university down the road. And here it's only just become an option. And otherwise you had to stay um, or jump. And I think that is um, what the island really demonstrates, is that's a lot of the way we think about higher education, that people have either stayed or jumped. Um, and um, two uh, sort of uh, other participants uh, talked about this, and one of them... Um, I thought was interesting because she was a mature student. Um, she was very interesting because actually um, her, she was one of three students um, on an art and design degree and one of the other students was her daughter, um, which was a degree experience I myself would not have wanted. Um, and, uh, but she, she said, and this is where um, um, she said, I definitely couldn't have left when I was younger. And when I said why, she just said, this is what I'm talking about with the survival thing. She said, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. However, she's now in her 50s and she, she was saying, I could do a master's, I could go to Glasgow. I, I might not have been able to do it then, but I could do it now. And I think it made me think that the, the, the um, geographies of higher education are also often times of higher education, the kind of normative way we think about it. So we think, you, you do jump or you don't jump and you do it when you're 18 or you don't do it at all. Um, and this person was saying, I'm now in my 50s, I stayed here and done higher education and all everything would suggest I'll stay here for the rest of my life, but actually now I'm thinking of doing a master's. So um, kind of disrupting that, all those associations we have between staying, staying when you're 18 and then that meaning that the rest of your life um, is also a story about staying. Um, and this um, finally um, came out of one of the mapping um, exercises um, and I just think it's useful because it reminds you um, of how uh, even the smallest of places have divisions. Um, and so this person said when he was drawing on the map, he said, there's no, oh, there's nothing to do up in the north. 
And if you get someone from the north, they'll tell you the same thing about the south. And I thought, first of all, that's what someone will probably say about England. Um, and secondly, it really does tell you that we often think of, and I was tempted to think of an island as a single place, but for a lot of the students I was talking to, this wasn't a single place. There were multiple places um, within it, and it just reminded me to, um, to look at the complexity of it, um, of place uh, in students' lives. Um, so I think um, for me, island um, locations are a useful way of showing that um, there are these really powerful institutional associations between student mobility um, and progression. So the idea that if the institution progresses, it must attract international students was really powerful, even though it was also not, not at all feasible for, the, for a lot of the colleges I was talking about, and also not how they were organising their provision at all, but it was still something they almost felt they were supposed to say they were working towards. Um, I think this is really important. So there are barriers to higher education that we don't talk about and don't know about a lot. So it was complete news to me that a UK university can charge international fees to someone who comes from um, uh, one of the Channel Islands, for example, and that, that that could be the difference between a university education and not a university education for not a large number of people, but people. Um, that um, the way we see higher education um, is all bound up in language of journeys and times and places, but often it's quite those things are quite normative um, and they associate particular patterns um, with the right ways of doing things, but they are only ever one way. Um, and for me, the spatial story and understanding the way people talk about themselves in relation to uh, the places that they have imagined being or the places that they are is one way of just saying um, that just staying in a place um, is never the whole story.